as I said, this is super casual. Uh, Chrissy, welcome to the Yes Collective Therapist Circle. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot of amazing questions. So I first want to check in and see how are you doing today? Like, what is today like for you? Today's a great day. Thank you for having me on it. The sun is shining. Uh, we haven't had any major meltdowns from the kids. So I, <laughs> we're on top of the world over here. <laughs> yeah, so awesome. And then also before I get started, I just want to hear about what's going on in the uh, in the book world for you. What's uh, What's happening? We are busy. We are about to launch book two in the Capable Kiddos book series. And this book is on facing your fears and anxiety head on. It's called Fear Not. And it is already available for pre-order, but it launches officially April 26th. So we are just about to start the PR campaign. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is perfect timing. So it will be available for purchase on April 26th. Is that right? It currently, you can pre-order it on Amazon, on the publisher's website, which is Pessy, and on my website, if you wanted an author signed copy, they will be then released to be shipped on April 26th. Beautiful. And real quick, your website is? ChristinaFernival.com. Awesome. And I love this. Oh, so I'm so excited to have you back on to talk about this book. Um, it sounds like a book that really everybody can, can use. I mean, this is to me, like the key to mental and emotional wellness is facing your fears head on. Right. It so is. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited about this book. I feel like I reference it. Both my children need it. My son in particular, who's four is already showing signs of anxiety. And I just, um, I want to be helpful to them and to children far and wide. Uh, awesome. Awesome. All right. So we've got a lot of amazing questions today. We are, uh, you know, of course, we're not here to solve every problem, but we're just here to get your take, maybe some different perspectives, and just talk through some really common issues that parents have. And so this week, we'll start off with, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of funny, like we start off in our last therapist circle, we started off with a fastball and we're starting <laughs> off with another fastball today. Oh, no, so no, the okay. question that was submitted by a parent is quote, I'm going through a divorce right now and I'm lucky enough to have found good therapists for the kids, but I won't be able to get in to see a therapist for myself for another month. What are some mm -hmm. things I can do in the meantime to take care of myself? Oh, wow. I love this question. And first of all, to whoever wrote this, whoever also is going through the same thing, props to you for getting your children in to see a therapist and for making an appointment for yourself. That's a hurdle. That's an obstacle. It's something none of us want to have to do, um, especially when we're, we're in the middle of crisis, but it's exactly what we need. So well done. Um, as far as what you can do for yourself in the meantime, I guess if we think about what therapy is, it is a safe space to process and to learn to, to analyze our own thought patterns and look at our behaviors and make changes that work within the realm of what is good and right for us. And so since you won't be able to do that with a therapist just yet, I'm thinking, how can we help you do that for yourself on some level in the meantime? And two key things pop into my mind. And one of them is a support group. There are so many divorced parent support groups. Um, if you're a mom, there's probably a single mom support group. If you're a dad, there's probably a single dad one. 
Um, they are also likely virtual and super accessible right now because of all the changes with the pandemic. There used to hardly be anything online. Everything was in person, but now you can find these, these groups online. So I would recommend searching for an online virtual support group. Um, additionally, Facebook has so many different Facebook groups that you can become a part of. And even if you're silent, but you're reading what parents, other parents that are going through the same mm -hmm. thing are sharing, mm -hmm. that can be so helpful for you not feeling alone. I think a divorce is something we, none of us ever expect to have to experience. And when you find that that's the way your life is, has unfolded, it can be really disappointing and you can feel like you're alone in that. So a support group or a Facebook group would be a great, great shout there. Additionally, for your own process as well, a journal would be a mm. fabulous way to, to get your thoughts out of your head, get your feelings out of your chest and just put things down on paper. You don't need to make sense. You don't need to write a story. You can just write the things that are hard. You can write the things that are going well. Uh, you can write what you're seeing in your children, whatever comes to you. It's great to get that out. And then years down the line, it's really interesting to reflect back on journal entries and see how you've grown or changed. And while you're waiting for a therapist, that may be a really helpful uh, practice for you as well. Mm, yeah. As I'm feeling into this question, I'm assuming that for many parents going through this, anxiety would be something that would be increasing during this time. Mm -hmm. And so you've, you've just written a book on anxiety. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if you have maybe one or two just self-help on your own at home tips for this increasing anxiety that a parent might be experiencing during this time. Yes. Yeah, so when our anxiety increases, sometimes we feel somatic symptoms. So if that's something that's happening for you, you're having headaches or stomach aches, meditation can be really helpful. Um, there are so many apps. There's so many YouTube videos where you can go, or you can even Google guided meditation and just find a either an audio version or a script that you can read for yourself and something like progressive muscle relaxation that walks you through tensing and relaxing various parts of your body usually it's head to toe or feet to head that can help relieve some of those somatic symptoms that anxiety can cause also anxiety it just, it, it's kind of a beast because we all have it and we have it in different levels and for different things. But for this particular situation, I would think community would be really helpful mm -hmm. to relieve some symptoms of anxiety. So reaching out to your friends, to your loved ones, spending special time with your children, because I have to imagine the time spent with children in the process of a divorce is very kind of task oriented or, okay, we're going to move. We need to get you into new schools. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And we might be lacking in the sense of connection with mm. our kiddos, which would help all of us get through such a, such a hard thing. So um, setting aside special time or making sure that you and your kids, maybe it's just the weekend, maybe it's just for 30 minutes, because I'm sure you're busy, but having that special time to, to focus on connecting with your kids would be helpful for both your and their anxiety as well. Yeah. So I'm hearing connection and community, and mm. this is a good moment to pause and plug a new tool that we're adding into Yes Collective called Wellness Resets. And so we'll be publishing these once or twice a week, and there'll be five minute 
guided meditations, just really brief, just for parents and focused on a different theme every time. And so uh, come on into the Yes Collective app. And yeah, it's just, we're thinking about these meditations at the speed of moms because we, you know, we don't have 30 minutes to sit down and like go deep. So can, what can I do in five minutes? So these are called wellness resets and we're going to be launching these next week. That's huge. Oh, I love that. Well, will parents, will there be enough that you could kind of listen to one every morning or something, start your day off, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, at first it's, we're going to be putting these out a few times a week. Um, but we're going to be building a library. And so eventually this will be something that we can do every day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we have the next question from a parent who writes how to manage discussions with in-law grandparents. So I think this is the, the, so the parent who wrote in, this would be their parents. Okay. So how to manage discussion with my parents, essentially, when our children are not being raised in any religious tradition as they raise their son and daughter. My husband and I are aligned on not raising our kids in any religious tradition, but it's continuously brought up by their grandparents of why their grandkids are not religious. And I'm feeling tired and not heard. I don't want my kids feeling like there is something wrong with them for being different. Mm-hmm. Oh, f- well, okay. Let me add this for being different from the grandparents. Right. That is, I would say very, a very common problem these days, a very common challenge. We are making decisions as parents that are very different from what our parents or our grandparents decided. And that can include religion. It sounds like the, the grandparents are putting up uh, an offense, if you will, and then you're putting up a defense. And so in that way, there's two walls colliding and heads are butting against each other. What I would recommend, and this is kind of for any conflict, is to separate the conflict from the people and kind of put it as a third party where you and the grandparents can find common ground against the issue itself. And the issue itself is religion, but underneath that, it's values. It supports for the grandparents or for any person who follows a religion very strongly. It is so woven throughout their being that it is unfathomable how somebody doesn't follow religion. And for those of us who don't follow a religion, we kind of have the, the reverse of that of like, well, why do you need that? What's your thought? Science What's the big deal? That, you know? <laughs> What's the big deal? And it's very hard to to see the other side and you certainly won't convince your grandparents of your views and your grandparents certainly won't convince you of your views. So that effort is, is fruitless, but what we can do is a more radical acceptance saying, okay, these are my parents' beliefs and these beliefs have been founded over decades, right? So you're thinking of your parents, they're probably in their fifties, sixties or older. They have used religion to help them through grief. They've used religion to help them through trauma and challenges in their life. And it means the world to them. And they coming from a very good place, want your children to have that same beautiful gift, if you will. And you don't see it that way. So if there's a radical acceptance around, okay, my parents are coming with good intentions. They just want the best for my kids. 
we in our household have a different point of view, but we're open to letting our children hear about it. We are open also, I would think, to letting our children make their own choices, just like you made your own choice. Then the same hopefully can be expected or have a conversation with your, the parent, the grandparents about it of, okay, mom and dad, I know you guys feel these beliefs really strongly. We don't, and you're welcome to share your beliefs with our kids, but in our house, we're not going to teach that. And we're not going to expect them to go to church or to temple. And, um, I hope we can all agree that it's just great to expose them to the different thoughts and the different belief systems. Cause there's so much beauty in recognizing that the way that we think and the way that we believe is not the only right way. Mm. And so I think having that sort of a, a radical acceptance and conversation and compassion around the whole situation can help remove that head to head fight. Yeah. I really love this idea of separating out. So you have the mom and dad here who are raising their kids and then you have the grandparents separating them out. And then you have this third thing, which is the conflict, which is Mm -hmm. the issue. And that feels like a really good first step. Like, all right, we can separate this out. We can then outside of this third conflict, what's coming up for me is like restating some like fundamental um, connection between us. Like, I love you and you love me. Like out here, we can set this aside and let's just state how much we love each other and how much we care for each other and how much I value your relationship with my kids and how much I value Mm -hmm. my relationship with you. And then just like, uh, that feels so good. And then, all right, now here's this third thing. I, I yeah, really yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when focusing on that third thing, it like, it really hit me. It was like, Oh, at the end of this parent's question, um, they said that uh, they referred to something like the grandparents were concerned about the grandkids being different from their grandparents. Like there was mm-hmm. this, there, there was this fear of difference. And so I can imagine in, in that, in the conflict, you were saying, okay, now there are levels and maybe that's the, that's like at the bedrock of, I don't want to lose the, like, I don't want my grandkids to be some strange, some stranger to me. And I know that if they were to go to uh, the religious institution that I went to and that I raised you in as well, that we would have some commonalities and I know that we wouldn't be strangers. Yeah. So it, that absolutely oh, yeah. underpins that for sure. Yeah. And so it's striking me that getting to that bedrock of like, Oh, this is the issue. Well then what can we do to go directly to that? Is there like, are there some shared experiences that we can ensure that you have with your grandkids so that, you know, you know, that, that don't necessarily have to involve um, a religious institution. Do you want to take them on a vacation and have special time with them? Do you want to, you know, what are some things that we can do so that we can meet that need, which isn't really about the religion. It's more about you connecting with your grandkids and this fear around not connecting with your grandkids. 
Yeah. yeah, you've nailed it on the head. Oh, I love that. And yes, grandparents, take the children on vacation to save our relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> anytime you want to take the kids on vacation, go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this. Yeah, that. That. I. I wasn't sure how we were going to answer this one. Um. I'll, I'll just in in full disclosure. When I first read this, I thought, oh man, this hits home because we have chosen to raise our kids without any religion. And I, well, both my wife and I were raised in religious households. Mm -hmm. And it's been really amazing that uh, both of our parents have been so, uh, like this has not become a conflict. I think at least a lot, my mom listens to this podcast. So hi, mom. I I'm assuming, (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming that both my mom and dad would love it. If our kids went to the same religious institutions, um, that they raised us in, but it's been really amazing. They've never, it's never been a source of conflict. And so I just want to express the, the gratitude that I'm feeling around <laughs> that. This that. isn't a pain point for you. That's wonderful. Well, and again, like you just shared your full disclosure, I've got mine as well. Um, I actually grew up in a mixed religious household. My dad was born and raised Catholic, Mexican, Irish, and my mom was raised Jewish. Mm. And growing up in a household of mixed religions, I got to see how harmoniously they can blend, that there's so much similarity in them and my mom was probably more open than my dad in that she allowed him to raise us catholic so we were baptized we went to catechism school uh we were confirmed we went through all the stages and she was there for it you know she didn't hold those beliefs but she wasn't about to stop us on our own pathway to figuring out what made the most sense for us and i always thought that was beautiful because we had christmas and hanukkah we did passover we we kind of picked and were able to pick and choose the bits and pieces that made the most sense to us and then coming down to my generation i married my husband he's an atheist and i have no institutional religion institution beliefs at this point other than i believe in some sort of higher power don't know what that is but we chose not to raise our children with any religious background that said we're open because we sent them to a temple preschool and yeah. my both my brothers still strongly catholic and they we welcome them sharing what they know with our children and yeah. um i the one conflict it did bring up was when we got when my husband and i got married because we did not want to get married in a religious institution institution and um we were married out on a lawn you know beautiful palm trees blue skies and for my dad he did speak to me and he was never um angry. I think it's the grandparents come from more a place of being hurt. And I think being concerned, um, how would my wedding be meaningful mm, if we yes. weren't wed with a Is priest? it real? <laughs> right. Like, did Is did it you really, really get married? <laughs> exactly. And my, my point of view to my dad was we had a friend marry us and that meant more to me than it ever would to have a priest who I don't know you, you, you know, create this union between my husband and me and meant way more to have a friend who knew both of us share our stories and, and what wed us in front of our friends and family. So he, I'm sure wasn't happy about it, but he didn't show it from that point on. And then, um, we haven't ever baptized our children and that's never been a conversation either. So similar if mom and wow. dad are listening. Yeah. Chrissy, I, I mean, I identify so much because we had our wedding in 
um, the uh, the was it Tempe Botanical or is the Phoenix Botanical Gardens? This beautiful botanical gardens, but it was not religious. The um, official in our ceremony was also a friend and a poet and a dancer, and it was this like oh, wow. some some poem that that you know she gave that we enjoyed. And I remember uh, uh, that the per my grandmother in particular was not happy about like out of it, but um, everybody else, yeah. And and then you know, but my grandmother now over the years absolutely loves my family and has like there are absolutely no qualms. And then one of the other things. So this is the the therapist circle is not therapy. It is it is a conversation. And so I'm just going to go on for a little bit here. <laughs> so um, one of the concerns I think that a lot of grandparents have around this is, well, how are you going to teach your kids values? How are you going to teach mm -hmm. them right from wrong? And this was something from the very beginning. Uh, I don't believe it, that my parents ever, ever asked this or ever said this, but they might have, um, they might have thought it, but I know others certainly have thought this. And so for us from the very beginning, it was like, oh, all right, well, this helps us think a little bit more explicitly about this a little bit more um, clearly, like we're not just going to say, well, we need to bring our kids to some institution to teach them um, values and right from wrong. And so I think from the very beginning, we had to think about this. And for us, it came down to how can we teach and then ultimately show them that really most values and most right from wrong, if not all, are really based on how we treat other people and our connection mm -hmm. to other people. Like, how, why don't we want to lie? Because it breaks trust. And then, and then another person can't trust us. And then it breaks that connection. And so mm -hmm. if my child lies about something, it's not like, I don't need to reach anywhere. It's like, oh, I, I have a hard time trusting you now, now, you know, and, and, and so now we need to build the trust back or, you know, yeah. Like, why don't we steal? Oh, how, well, how would you feel if another person did that to you? And, and so that, you know, so now you're thinking about like these values and right from wrong not as abstract, not as anything from the outside, but as something internal and a value that we can easily explain and easily justify, oh, I don't want to do that to another person. I'm connected to the people around me. I'm connected to a larger community. I'm connected to everybody in one way or another, and I want to do right by them. Yeah. I think it gives you, like you just said, the chance to be more intentional or equally as intentional. Basically, I, yeah, I, I don't think you need that to be thoughtful and mindful of what you teach your children. And just because you don't have that doesn't mean that your children are going to be rapscallions running them up, right? <laughs> <laughs> you still have the opportunity, whether you have religion or without, <laughs> you have yes, the yes. opportunity to teach good values to your children. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on that ride. All right. So now <laughs> we have the third question submitted this week. So a parent asks, uh, it, well, they begin by saying, sitting with big emotions. How do you decide between giving your child space if they leave the room 
or making them stay in the room so we can all sit with the emotions that we're having. So there wasn't any more detail given. Um, so we can uh, add the detail in ourselves if we want to mm -hmm. make things up. But I'm assuming we're talking about a uh, maybe like a tween or a teenager here that might have that's, big that's... emotions and then leaves leaves the room. So right. yeah, what do you think about this one? That's what I envisioned as well, because I, my children are almost six and four and generally they might do a little storm off, but they don't go leave and like take care of their own emotions by themselves. They still very much need my support. So that was kind of my question or in my own head as this question was being read is how old, you know, how old is the child? There's so many factors to consider in what the quote right answer would be. And I don't think I can give an answer that is a blanket statement. It's going to depend on the child's age, on their emotional development, on any special needs they may have. It'll also depend on your mental health state and their mental health state. Um, with a tween and young kids and older kids, I mean, the, the messaging that we want our children to know and to feel is you are unconditionally loved and I am here for you. And so letting them go away is fine because that shows I believe in your ability to handle this. Uh, I know that you're expressing you want space and I'm going to respect that. So it's finding that fine line based on those factors. And I'm sure there's other factors to consider as well of, okay, let's say I do let you go storm off. You want space. You're upset. How long do I give you? Do I just hang back until you rejoin or do I give you a few minutes? Do I tell you, okay, yeah, go take your space, but I'll be there in a second because I want to be here for you. I think there are several different approaches you can take kind of depending on what the scenario is, uh, but forcing yourself after them, if they've clearly stated that they want space and saying, we're going to sit here in this room and sit with your feelings feels like a violation of their mm -hmm. request, um, particularly if they are in that tween teenage age range where they really do want privacy a lot of times to process things by themselves. Yeah, I'm also thinking the tween or the teen is probably not the only one with big emotions in that moment. Like the parents, the <laughs> parents probably <laughs> feeling the big emotions as well. I, I can certainly imagine, well, I don't have to imagine, I can remember um, big emotional conflicts, uh, especially with our daughter who is now 12. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, she'll have big emotions, but I'll have big emotions as well. And I have learned, or I'll say I'm in the process still of learning that I need to first attend to my big emotions. Like I, if I'm triggered, I, I need to go and take care of that before I try to be any sort of comfort to her <laughs> or any, like I need to go first take care of that. Like, all right. Right. Do not pursue. Do not pursue. <laughs> yeah. Like what's happening for me right now? Cause I can tell my heart rates faster. I can tell that I'm getting a little flush that I'm that. Yeah. And um, yeah. So uh, do you have any tips for, all right. So the parent recognizes that they might be triggered. Do you have any mm -hmm. tips for, for that? I love your suggestion of taking a moment to yourself. It's incredible because when we get elevated. It feels like zero to 100, but the reality mm -hmm. is there is space in there to pause. And if you cut off that pathway in a pause, 
you get a chance to regroup. When we're angry, we go into fight or flight. And so that front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, which controls reasoning and emotional regulation and organizing and planning and all the like executive functions of our brain says, I'm not needed here. And the part of our brain that turns on is our reptilian brain, which is where we get into that fight or flight mode. And if, if our child's feeling that, and we're feeling that, and both of the front of our brains that could have a reasonable conversation are turned off, no good is going to happen. We feel like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go lay down the law and let them know they can't storm out on me. Right. And that no one wins. No one wins in those moments. So taking that moment to be like, okay, you know, she or he asked for space and I'm not pleased at anything that just happened, but I'm going to take some space too, whether it's just deep breathing, whether it's having a sip of cold water, drinking your hot coffee, sensorial, um, actions and tactics can be helpful in that sense. So like cold water, hot coffee, stepping outside, feeling the breeze, getting some sun on your skin or doing deep breaths, which acts as a light switch to your fight or flight. It's an all or nothing system. And if we can engage our deep breathing, which is the opposite of how we would breathe during fight or flight, which would be much more of a rapid, shallow breath. If we can engage slow, long, deep breathing, it can help shut the whole system down and help that front part of our brain turn back on so we can handle things appropriately. Yes. I'm now thinking we need a wellness reset around de-triggering, like a parent five minute deep breathing, coming, coming back into the body, <laughs> coming back into this moment. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. Um, next week we have a podcast coming out with an interview that we did with Dr. Frank Anderson. I'm not sure. He is one of the leading figures in internal family systems therapy. That's right. Uh, I think you've spoken to me about him before. Yeah. And so we interviewed him and just an amazing interview, but it, I, uh, it comes to mind right now because he has this agreement with his husband around triggering. And so they have two, two boys and the agreement that they've made uh, before any trigger. This is uh, this agreement. I don't know. is many years old now, but if one of them gets triggered, then the other one who is not triggered can say, Hey, you're triggered. Let me handle this. And then the triggered one can then go have a timeout and just <laughs> breathe and come back. And yes. I think this is just a brilliant move, but the important thing is that the agreement has to be made well ahead of time because in the moment when, when we're triggered, we feel so self-righteous. We're like, no, I am absolutely right. I need to defend every inch of ground here. (laughs) And so the non-triggered parent is just like, like, all right, this is not a situation that I can, you know, do much about. And so Uh, what's coming up for me is really thinking about what are some of the things we can do well before any triggering occurs. I think that preventative proactive plan is so important. And I didn't realize until I became a parent um, how stubborn I am. And I don't think I'm generally stubborn. I think it's just called being a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but gosh, darn it. Like if I've said something, that's what I want to happen. But my husband and I have a similar approach and we came up with a code word years ago and we haven't been as good about using it recently, but it's slide and it's to let it slide. And that's kind of also our tag out because it's a, it's a neutral word. If, if I see that he's getting frustrated or if he sees that I'm getting frustrated, I'll be like, well, slide. And like, I'm going to slip in here. I'm going to take over or vice versa. 
now he is much better at responding to me attempting to tag him out um, than I am. I, I have, I get bullheaded, man. And I just have, I'm, it's really hard for me to get off my high horse and be like, okay, you can take over. Cause there's also part of me that's like, you're not going to do it how I, how I would do it right, right. Now. there. And there's, how there I would is do a right principle now is involved here. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and what I, what I love, what he said is that because they've, they've explicitly made this agreement, then neither one has to worry about, are they right? Principle, da, 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 because it's not about that. It's about, oh, what he said was the less time our children can experience us in a triggered state, the less chances there are for emotional wounding. And so it's really just about, you could be a hundred percent right. It like right or wrong. The less time our kids can experience us triggered, the better. And so if the other parent can see it, well, you're triggered. All right, let me take over. This isn't about right or wrong. You go take a break. And then when you are completely calm and ready to come back, then, you know, you can, uh, you can come back. I really appreciate that. And we've, and we use that and we've used that here and it's helped me because I really identify Well, actually both my wife and I are both firstborns. And so we're both really stubborn. We're both, (laughs) we both think we are always absolutely correct. (laughs) And so in in this way, it could be like, Hey, you could be a hundred percent, right. You might be a hundred percent wrong, but you're triggered. (laughs) And so let let me take over. (laughs) And it's, it's a zoom out. And that's going back to what you're saying, but how, how can we prevent us getting triggered on the front side? Maybe not everyone has a partner that can tap them out. But zooming out and recognizing bigger picture thinking, okay, I feel self-righteous in this moment. I want X, Y, or Z to happen. I'm not happy about what just happened, but is what I'm about to do in the bigger picture, the best course of action? And in a lot of cases, the answer is no. And so then going to the proactive side is, okay, what does trigger me? What sorts of things do I find myself Mm. blowing up over? And how, what plan can I put in place for myself of how I'll handle that the next time that happens? And there's even, um, it's a a healthy detachment. And I have to practice this with my son in particular because he, when he gets angry, he behaves very mean, very, very mean. And as much as I know a four-year-old when he says he hates you, doesn't hate you, there is still a part of you that feels wounded and wants to respond to that and be like, you can't say stuff like that. And that's not okay. But the bigger picture is I need to help him calm down. And then later we can reflect about this. But anything I say right now isn't going into his brain as well as it's making me more heated. Mm. And I need to detach and just be kind of physically present as a stable support, offer love, and then ride that wave with him. After the fact, we can reflect on it. But Mm. previously, before my husband and I were having, we were like, he's so reactive and he's so physical. He's very aggressive when he gets angry and we want to nip it in the bud, but it's like our efforts actually are counterproductive. Ooh. What we need to do is, is not get ourselves triggered and, and handle it in a different way. I love it. Yeah. So how would you define, you began um, by talking about the trigger or a trigger. How would you define being triggered? Is this that fight or flight state that you were referring to before? That's, that is the state of being triggered? For me, yeah. I think when you, you I don't know if you can feel it, but I can feel when oh, yeah. a part of my brain is like, 
rational Christy, what, like, what are you doing? And the other side's like, ah, I'm on a mission. And it's that, that state of like something, I feel it in my chest. So it depends how, I guess, aware of your body's, your body you are in those moments, but I feel it in my chest. I feel my heart start to race. I can feel the need to like clench my fists. Um, my voice elevates obviously to a more firm or yelling tone. Um, and yeah, you, I feel like it's kind of, and this isn't great, but it's because that front of your brain shuts off. It's a bit of a blackout state where afterwards you're like, why did I respond that way? Or what, why did I say that? What did I do? Yeah. Yeah. For me, internal family systems is one really powerful model for looking at triggering that another part of like a young part, a part that has maybe in the past experienced um, something intense and overwhelming. And it feels like, oh, like survival's on the line, like something big is on the line. And this part steps up and, um, and yeah, it's not the analytical part. It's not the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the deep thinking part. It's uh, it, to me, I experience it as just this very embodied. And I think it's a younger part of just like, we need to protect something big here. Like we have a big job to do. This isn't, this is important. Um, yeah, that's, but I love your attention to the body. And I think that's one of the most important pieces of awareness that has grown for me in being able to know, oh, I'm triggered. Why? Because I can feel it in my body. It's, it, is, it is an embodied state. And what I've learned as well over the past couple of years working with amazing psychologists and therapists like you is that, um, well, for a lot of us, we learned early on to cut ourselves off from our body, that mm-hmm. big overwhelming experiences as, as kids, when things are happening to us, we don't have a lot of control. We're small people, you know, we don't have a lot of power, a lot of control, but one thing that we can do is go into our head and we can narrativize, we can mentalize, we can categorize, you know, we, we can, we can, we can start to ruminate and that this is something that I have noticed now for a lot of other parents, this is something that um, we have to almost un- unlearn is like, Hey, we actually have a body and that's where, mm-hmm. that's, that's where your emotions actually are. And I, I, you know, several years ago when I started on this path, I thought that emotions were all just up up here. Like, okay, here's, here's my sad part. Here's my happy part. You know, it's like, no, 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 actually they're all in my body. (laughs) It is also interconnected. And often if you're able to tune into your body, you will notice before you've noticed in your thoughts that you're feeling a certain way. And that's something my husband and I are both trying to practice as well as I get some chest pressure, chest pressure. And I'll be like, Ooh, you know, I'm feeling think I could like explode soon. So I don't know what's going on, but, uh, and then he'll be like, all right, I'll, I'll handle that time. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go sit outside for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's, and I don't necessarily know what it is. And honestly, half the time, it doesn't matter exactly what your thoughts are about it. You, it's paying attention to yourself and taking that time. If you have it to decompress and try and expand your capacity for frustration tolerance. Or <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. So let's Let's see how we're doing with time here. Let's move on to the next question, which is, so you see 
Okay, this is kind of related. All right, mm-hmm. so you see your child was upset when they come out of their room. So the parent here, I imagine, is not triggered. They're just walking by. They see their child is upset coming out of the room. I think this is also a tween or teen question. They don't want to talk about it. How far do you push? Again, I think there's a respect component of, okay, you've expressed to me you don't want to talk about it. But I don't think you have to fully take that at face value because the reality is we tend to push away. We as human beings tend to push away when we know we need support the most. And it's almost like we want you to show me that you love me enough to keep trying. And so as a parent, you could say, okay, I hear you. You don't want to talk about it right now, but open that door for them that I'm here for you when you want to talk. If you have an inkling of what the problem at hand could be, we, I think the three best things we can do as parents are empathize, validate, and model. And so expressing, okay, I hear you. So I'm validating that you don't want to talk about this right now. I'm empathizing with you because it must be pretty big deal if you're not wanting to talk about it with me. And then modeling, I think setting the, the family household environment and culture around sharing. And even when it's hard stuff, and as parents, so often we don't want to let kids in on the hard parts of life or the news or whatever it is that's pressuring us because we want to shelter them. But I do think we can be intentional about what we do let through that wall and share our feelings, share some of our challenges that are age and developmentally appropriate, as well as our process. Like I'm uh, something really bad happened at work today and I don't want to talk about it now, but you know, I probably should talk about it with your dad a little later because I know that when I keep things inside, they actually feel worse or my brain makes them up into a bigger deal than they are. And when I talk about with your dad, I actually find that I suddenly feel better in that moment. And just having those sorts of conversations and having that sort of environment in the household can be really powerful. If if your kids are younger, um, but even up into maybe tween, there's a book called, what's it called? Bad Day. Um, Oh no, it's A Terrible Thing Happened by Margaret Holmes. Bad Day is another good book. Um, Bad Day is definitely for the younger kids, but A Terrible Thing Happened um, is about a little boy who saw something awful or experienced something awful and doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to share about it. And then finally, by the end of the story, he draws it and he's willing to talk about it. And he realizes that he's stronger because of sharing about it. And he feels Mm. so much better. Mm. And it's powerful to share those sorts of stories with your kids that indirectly tells them that they should be sharing with you when they're having tough times. And as I put myself back into my teenage self and both my parents were always so open to hear whatever I had to say. Um, I, you know, didn't really have to fear getting in trouble. I said, I might've had consequences if whatever the thing was, was against the rules or dangerous or not safe, but I knew that I was unconditionally loved. And I think that's, the modeling, the empathy, the validation, and an expression of unconditional love can be really helpful to get your kids to open up mm, when they're not I, wanting to. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So empathize, validate, and model. One of the things coming up around modeling for me is I started to get into this a couple of years ago when I, when I started to do some training in authentic relating. I, 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 I don't know if we've talked about authentic relating yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so what I started to do, which was the goal was to how, 
was to get to a place where I could open up and reveal what was happening for me with, with my kids, with my loved ones and not be so guarded and bottled up. And I realized, well, with kids, you know, there could be things that I could share that would actually be, you know, destabilizing, you know, that, that might, that might feel like, oh, you know, um, wow, like there's some big issues going on here that I, that are adult issues that I don't know how to handle. And those are few and far between. What I found though, was that I can always share what's happening for me with them. And so if one of my kids says something that is hurtful, I can then just reveal it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling really wounded. Like there's a part of me that feels that feels just like you don't care about me. And this really hurts right now because I care so much about you. And I know in the past I would have, I would have gone about it just in a completely different way. I would have maybe tried to make it some sort of principle of like, this, these are things we just don't say to people or, you know, but no, instead like, oh, I feel dropped. I feel wounded. I, I'm, I'm so sad right now because I love you so much. And to hear that from you makes me feel really hurt. I mean, I, and, and, and then I would like try to get as detailed as I could too. Like, and then I feel alone. Yeah. There's a feeling of aloneness and I would like try to get as like detailed as I could. And one of the things that I found was that it, 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 like it did help to, to model over time. I remember there was a few months where I was just like trying this as much as possible, but there was this, this payoff where I, I could, I could see my kids starting to talk to me a little bit more than they did in the past. I still can't get my daughter to, to fully open up around friend drama, which I think is totally mm-hmm. normal, but <laughs> to me, like who, <laughs> what tween girl wants to talk to their dad around about friend drama, but it, it, it was a scary first, or it was a, scary several couple of months to start doing this. And I guess I'm just sharing this to let parents know that it, uh, that it got a lot easier and now I can do that really quite easily. And that, that was a way that I started to model this. It is, it's the practice. It's just like any muscle you have to train it and, and growing your muscles hurts. You feel sore and it can feel the same way emotionally when you're trying out, trying these words on for size and phrasing. And I, you know, I was smiling while you're talking because it wasn't a a lovely topic. Obviously you're talking about feeling wounded and hurt, but I was just so impressed with the verbiage you used. You took full ownership for your feelings. It wasn't that you were attacking your children for whatever their actions was. You were saying how you felt taking full ownership using I statements, uh, talking about the parts of you. And I just love it. You're, you're really modeling what you want them to do in their own process too. And it is, it, t- it takes practice. I hear myself sometimes being like, that makes me angry. What you're doing, you're making me angry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Their choices are maybe not the best, but I'm in charge of my own feelings. I'm feeling angry in response yeah. to yeah. their action. And yeah, I that. the and that took me. That was so hard for me because I uh, yes, I identify one hundred percent. And what helped for me, if this helps any other parents, is 
that I just started getting super curious around what was I actually feeling, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like, what is this feeling? Oh, this is like, because before it would just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed or, (laughs) you know, um, Oh no, there's a lot more going on in there. There's a lot more going on. And it is like, I love the analogy to building a muscle. Um, it, 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 the more I did it, the more I was able to see, oh, there's, there's different things going on here. I was really surprised when I found like, oh, I feel a, a, alone. Like, oh, wow. I, I, I had no idea that my daughter saying something really mean to me would make me feel alone, but like, yeah, like I feel disconnected and like, I, I, I thought we were connected and now I feel alone. And, and so um, it is a, yeah, it's a muscle that just builds over time. And um, I, it is something that I use to this day, even like more and more how detailed and how, how aware can I get with what's happening inside? And mm-hmm. one of the benefits I'll just add to this is that I found that I can now detect when other things are happening in my life that have nothing to do with my kids or nothing to do with my family. And I'll start to feel, oh, there's like this tightness in my chest. And it's, uh, it's not anything to do with what's going on in the house, but I'll know that I'm like at an increased risk for trigger Mm -hmm. for getting triggered. (laughs) And so now I can know that going around and I can, it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it might've been like the war in Ukraine. I don't know what it was, but I remember telling it was either, I I think it was my daughter that that I was like, I am feeling just a little extra tension today. I just want you to know that I like, and yeah, just, I I'm feeling it. Yeah. And I I think the beauty beyond sharing that sort of things for the purpose of modeling is also sharing our humanity with our children. Mm. It, it opens them up to the reality that we're not perfect and we have our own process and we go through things and it's okay if they do too. Mm. I think so often we try and keep it together and then our kids think, wow, you know, mom and dad don't stress out about anything. Why am I such a stress case? Something must be wrong Ooh, with me. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. To normalize it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to model, like it is not going to always be here. Like if you feel anxiety, it is not a state that you are going to be in. It does pass and we can get stronger from it. And so we model how to, you know, yeah, like I was feeling extra tension that day. And my daughter got to hear that. And then she got to see how I was able to do everything that I needed to do that day to step up for my family and for everybody else. And I was able to handle it all, but I was able to reveal that, you know what, I'm feeling a little, little extra something today. And, and yeah, I love that. I love that. And how powerful is it to show these feelings come and they go. So they're not permanent. And I can handle whatever they are. So I don't need to run and hide from them. And then I have these tools to help myself. So having those kind of, those three steps in your toolkit, in your back pocket for whenever you need them and teaching your children those things helps you grow in resiliency to anything that comes your way. Mm, Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I am now aware we're not going to have enough time to get to the rest of the questions. What we are going to do okay. is save those questions. So any parents who submitted their questions, they didn't hear us get to them. We're going to do it on the next therapist circle. Uh, it will be with Nadia Torres Eaton, a clinical psychologist in Orange, California. She's wonderful. It's going to be fantastic. 
Oh, thank you so much, Christy, for coming on. I can't wait to have you back. And I can't wait to have you back, especially for your own podcast to talk about the book. I'm super excited. I think this is maybe one of the most important topics that we can talk about for our kids and for ourselves, anxiety and fear. I'm, I'm stoked. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. And hello to all the parents. And I'm just, I, I'm so happy about our relationship. And I want to see Audra as well next time. And just you guys, I love what you're doing. It's just so important and so impactful. Oh, well, thank you for being a part of it. And I can't wait to have you back on. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.